0: Uh, The second half of our Bibles, Acts uh, chapter 9, uh, page 1102 in the Church Bible. Acts chapter 9, and we want to read from verse 1 uh, through uh, to verse 18. Uh, The book of Acts is about... The Lord Jesus Christ and what he continues to do, continue to do uh, from heaven um, in saving people. I remember he died, he rose again, and after forty days he ascended into heaven. And the men that he had gathered around him, eleven of those twelve men, uh, continued to be uh, his faithful servants, and through them The message spread and here now we are reading tonight of how the gospel came to this man Saul. He was a leading Jew and a great enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the church. So Acts 9 verse 1. And meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples "'Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me?' "'Who are you, Lord?' Saul asked. "'I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting,' he replied. "'Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do.' The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. I have heard many reports about this man, and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, And before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul he said. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road. As you were coming here. Has sent me so that you may see again. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from from Saul's eyes. And he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Amen. Now let us call... When we were on holiday uh, recently in Fermanagh, uh, we were visiting uh, in Armagh, and uh, one of the days we went to the Navan Centre uh, just um, outside of Armagh on the Killiley Road. It's a very interesting place because it seeks to interpret um, the early Christian history, uh, uh, the Celtic period, uh, in our own land and particularly with what was happening uh, in and around the area of where the centre is. That takes us back uh, 2,000 years ago Uh, and uh, it struck us uh, as we were going through the exhibition how difficult it is to discover exactly what was happening uh, in uh, our land. There's a lot of speculation, a lot of interpretation uh, that uh, is put forward in centres like that well this evening we're not quite going back uh, 2,000 years as we begin our, service, our, our sermon we're going back um, uh, 500 years in the history of our nation and I want us to try for a moment to imagine uh, what uh, our, uh, this part of the world was like uh, the British Isles as we know it today politically The United Kingdom as we know it today did not exist. Uh, The island of Ireland uh, was divided into provinces uh, and uh, was ruled by earls or chiefs. Uh, 500 years ago, America had just been discovered by Christopher Columbus. 500 years ago, uh, agriculture was in many places and certainly in Ireland the major source of employment. If you want to travel any place, you had to walk or perhaps if you were better off, you may have had a horse uh, or a donkey that you could ride on or travel on. Many people died uh, at a young age. If you've been living 500 years ago, uh, the religious scene uh, was dominated by what we refer to sometimes as the medieval church by Roman Catholicism and that was a body that exercised powerful control over the people it was a way of um, worship that was blinded by superstition that was paralyzed by ritualism Uh, it was uh, a form of Christianity where the word of God was little read and less preached And in Europe there was a growing opposition to this uh, type of Christianity. But the Protestant Reformation hadn't quite yet taken off. One of the earliest reformers in England was a man called Thomas Bilney. Uh, And um, this man has a connection with the text that I want to preach on this evening. He was ordained a Roman Catholic priest in 1517. Yet he was a man who did not know peace with God. Uh, At that stage, the Greek New Testament by Erasmus uh, was coming off the printing press and he started to read this. And as a result, uh, he was converted. Uh, He came to see that Jesus Christ Is the priest. And Jesus Christ. Has offered the sacrifice. Once and for all. For the sins. uh, Of men and women. And their forgiveness. And he began to preach this message. uh, That people are saved. Not through the sacraments. Of Roman Catholicism. Not through rituals. Not through the indulgences. That you could buy. uh, From Roman Catholicism but through faith in Christ and as you would expect in that kind of environment this man suffered greatly for the gospel he was arrested in 1528 was imprisoned and tortured for two days at the end of which he denied his faith in Christ and was released a few years later he was so ashamed of his failure of Christ that he resumed preaching the gospel. Again, he was arrested. And this time, he had resolved that he would not recant, that he would not deny his faith in Christ. And so, in 1531, he was burned at the stake. So what's the connection between him and our text? Well, tonight... We're turning to First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, page 1191. And this, I understand, was the key text in bringing this man into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. First Timothy 1 verse 15 Here is a trustworthy saying, That deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst or the foremost. We want to look at our text tonight under uh, three headings. First of all uh, a reliable statement or a trustworthy statement. 1 um, Timothy this part of scripture is a personal letter it's written by the man that uh, we read about earlier he was mightily and wonderfully saved on the road to Damascus the Apostle Paul as he became known formerly Saul of Tarsus and this letter is written to a young uh, minister named Timothy That's why it's called 1st Timothy. We believe that Paul wrote this letter. About AD um, um, AD, uh, 62-63. When Timothy was pastoring the congregation of Ephesus in Asia Minor. A couple of years later. Paul wrote a second letter. And it comes next. 2nd Timothy. And at the same time. He wrote a letter to a man called Titus. He was also a pastor. And we sometimes refer to these three books in scripture as the pastoral letters. Because they were written to pastors. And they are of great use to us who are pastors in our work. And in the pastoral epistles we have this phrase used five times. Here is a trustworthy Saying, or as it was in the older versions this is a faithful saying and that alerts us to the fact that what we have here in 1st Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 is obviously a statement that was well known here's a statement that was widely um, used throughout the New Testament church it would have been taught to children by their mothers. It would have been quoted in the prayers of the members. You would have heard it in the sermons of the pastors. Here is a faithful statement or saying, worthy of full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is a statement that is absolutely true. Not every statement that you and I hear from people, or even that's written in letters, is true. We've all received mail which tells us that we are one of a very small number of people that have been selected, and we are now due to receive a massive amount of money if we only phone this number. Or complete this form. It's not a trustworthy. It's not a reliable statement. It should be put in the bin. It's a con. But what is written here. Is not a con. It is um, a statement. That is absolutely true. It's universally true. If you were to read this statement tonight. in, In some part of Africa. Or Asia. Or in some remote place in the earth it would be equally true in that context this statement was true when Paul wrote it in AD 62 it was true in 1517 when Bilney began to or sorry 1528 when this man came to faith it is true today And it will be true at the last day when Christ comes again. That he came the first time into the world to save sinners. So here's a statement that we need to understand. It's important we understand it, that we know what it means. It's important that we take it into our lives. That we build our lives upon it. Because it is going to affect our well-being. What we do with this statement. Our physical, our emotional, our mental, our spiritual, our eternal well-being. Rests on understanding this statement and acting upon it. So what does the statement mean? Well let's look at the first part of the trustworthy statement. Paul says, um, here is a trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the trustworthy statement. That's the statement that you and I can build our lives on. And we will never, ever be put to shame on account of it. And if you're not a Christian here tonight... This is the statement you need to understand. And this is the statement upon which you need to build your life. So that you will not be put to shame on the last day when Christ comes again. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Notice how it presents us with a unique person. Christ Jesus. Two names. Paul calls him Christ. First the word means anointed. And it, it speaks of someone set apart by God. It means Messiah. It Means sent one. And it reminds us that this person. Who is able to save. That uh, he is someone who existed before he appeared on the earth. And he came from outside of the earth. He came into the world. But he came from outside of this earth. So that's all tied up in the name Christ. But then look at the other part of his name. Jesus. This is the name given to him at his birth. And this is his human name, and it emphasizes his humanity, but it also has a very significant meaning, as we learn in the Gospels. The name Jesus means he shall save, he shall save his people from their sins. And so, Paul is presenting us here in this. Absolutely reliable statement. He's presenting to us here one who is God and who is man. One who is altogether distinct from you and me. In that he is God. We have only a human nature. But here's someone who is God. He is a divine nature. And he's a human nature. He's like us because he was born. As a person then. And look at what this unique person. Christ Jesus. Paul says he has come to do something. And the tense here means to do once. To do once. Not something that he does over and over and over again. So what has he come to do? He has come into the world to save Sinners. Now we are brought into view. All humanity is included in that word, sinners. For there is no human being except Jesus himself who was without sin. We are sinners. And so in this trustworthy statement, we're told about Jesus Christ The one sent by God. The one who is a sinless man. And what has he come to do? Well he's come to do something that is really significant. He's come to us who are sinners. And he's come to save us. Paul tells and reminds Timothy here. A trustworthy statement then. Christ Jesus came into the world once and his mission was not to teach only, though he did teach. It wasn't to be an example, though he was an example. It wasn't to give us a boost. It was to save. And that, the idea behind that word is to rescue. You know the work of a lifeguard on the beach at this time of the year. They're watching there in case someone gets into trouble in the water. Well you and I, all of us, we're in trouble because of our sin. And the lifeguard, the only one who can save us, is this unique person, Christ Jesus. And so let's remember tonight, we who are Christians, let's rejoice tonight. That this is trustworthy. No matter what our world says today. No matter what we are told by scientists. Or in the media. This is not speculative nonsense. This is not religious propaganda. propaganda. This is not flowery talk of a dishonest salesman. This is not somebody spinning a yarn. It is a trustworthy statement. We are sinners by nature separated from God and under his wrath but we're offered his mercy and we can be saved through the sinless life and the death of his son Jesus in our place that's what was happening at Calvary when he died on the cross he was dying to save his people That's the trustworthy statement. A non-Christian here tonight. Build your life on this. Make sure whatever else. um, You don't understand in life. Whatever else you leave undone in life. That you don't miss this. Or leave this unattended. That you grasp. Who this is. Who you are. And what he's able to do. But then secondly, we have a personal illustration. A personal illustration. Because now the Apostle Paul, at the end of our text, says, Of whom I am the worst. Um, And there it is, of whom the foremost I myself am. That's the literal translation. Of whom the foremost I myself am. And he's moving now from the general statement of the gospel to his own individual experience. He has in mind all that he was doing before that life-changing event uh, on the road to Damascus that we read of earlier in Acts chapter 9. He describes the impact that Jesus Christ has made on his life. The moment he met him. And was arrested by Christ. It has created a deep sense. Of his own sinfulness. Here is a man who before he met Christ. um, Was trusting in his religion. He was trusting in his works. He was trusting in the sacraments. That he had experienced. And benefited from. And availed of. Um, he talks in another place and Philippines about all the things that he trusted in. His background, his family history. All of those things. But when he met Christ. When Christ laid hold of him on that road to Damascus. And this powerful light shone upon this man. He had an overwhelming sense of his sinfulness. And he never lost that is of whom uh, the foremost I myself am. It's translated this word differently in uh, NIV. It says the worst. Uh, uh, AV says the chief. The, uh, the, uh, J.B. Phillips says the greatest. What does Paul mean? Well, obviously this is not a scientific statement. He's not saying he's done a survey uh, of all the people that have ever lived and he's investigated the lifestyle of every person. And that as he compares himself to every other person, he concludes, I stand at the top of the pile. It's not like a league table of the world's richest businessmen or the nation's top schools. Not a league table of the world's top sinners. Uh, he's using a chief in the sense of foremost. I'm a leading example, an outstanding example um, 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 of a sinner. Um, He has a blemished record. He's saying, I am not whiter than white. Uh, I have a shameful past. If you look at verse 13, he refers to that shameful past. I was a blasphemer, blasphemer. Said, I didn't I denied the Christ, I blasphemed his name. And then I was a persecutor, and that's a reference to how anyone who trusted in Christ, this man Saul was rounding them up, and he was doing it with great violence. And uh, if you go back earlier in Acts, you'll see how when Stephen, who we referred to this morning, was stoned to death, Saul was there, and he had given his Amen. To that. And he thought that was a good day. When that man was rid. Uh, the earth was rid of that man. As Stephen. But Saul now has had a complete turn around. And this is his personal example. His personal testimony. Uh, I was a blasphemer. And a persecutor. And a violent man. I'm foremost. I'm a, a, an example. A leading example. Of someone who sinned. This man has a bloody past. A bloody past. There are women. Without husbands. In the church. Of that day. And there are children without parents. uh, And there are parents without children. In that day. Because of the activities of this man saw. He described himself in another place. As being like a wild animal. Just tearing away at the church. Devouring uh, people's lives by his persecuting activities. But that has all changed. Uh, twice in this section Paul declares, I was shown mercy. I was shown mercy. What a tribute to God that is. Then and to God now. That he shows Mercy. That he in Christ forgave Saul of Tarsus and made him Paul the Apostle. What an act of mercy that God has stopped many of us here this evening in our tracks. And has made us something entirely different. Something new. Something that's becoming beautiful, attractive, Rather than something that's destructive and ugly. And brings um, pain to others. We bring blessing to others. And so this causes Paul then in verse 16 to hold out hope to others. He says, my personal example, why do I bring it in? Paul's not saying, look at me. He's not lifting himself up. He's wanting to lift Christ up. And Christ's grace to him. And then he's wanting other sinners. To, to realize that there is this same salvation for them. Despite their past. Look at what he says. For that very reason I was shown mercy to it in me. The worst of sinners. Or the foremost of sinners. Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. As an example. Uh, for those who would believe in him. And receive eternal life paul holds out hope to sinners and he says if christ save me there's no reason why he cannot and should not and would not save you that's what he's saying and that's Important for us to realize. And to grasp. Sometimes when I'm talking to people. About the gospel. They'll say to me. But I'm too bad. Some people think they're too good. To need to be saved. But some people think they're too bad. They say think of my past. I know what I've done. Uh, And. um, And. Why would God forgive me? I'm too bad to be saved. God won't forgive me my past. God won't give me a fresh start. And Paul says, I'm an illustration. I'm an example, an outstanding example of how God does forgive sinners. The worst of sinners. In Christ Jesus. And so tonight, if that's your thinking, I'm not good enough. My past, my copybook, I blotted it too often. Paul says, no, no. Think of me. And go to this Christ and say, you showed mercy to Saul of Tarsus, the blasphemer, the persecutor, the violent man. Show mercy to me. Then let's notice thirdly. We have an an urgent application. As we close then. An urgent application. Because Paul says. In this verse. um, Here is a trustworthy saying. To build your life on. And then that deserves. Full acceptance. Full acceptance. Or worthy of all acceptance and now he's applying the gospel that has transformed his personal life to his readers and he's saying here's something that you should respond to men and women and boys and girls with urgency with confidence it's worthy of all acceptance what does he mean well it demands, it deserves wholehearted, complete undeserved acceptance. This great truth that God has sent Christ to save sinners like you and me. We shouldn't hymn and ha over the gospel. We shouldn't dilly-dally about it. We shouldn't say, well, I'll come back and think about it another time. We shouldn't say, I'll keep an open mind on it. We're to embrace the gospel, embrace Christ. um, With all acceptance. Readily, wholeheartedly, and personally and immediately. Confessing our sin and trusting in him. But then there's another idea, I believe, that we can note behind this word, all, worthy of all acceptance. And it is this. The gospel is to be offered to all. All. It's not just for one little type of person. It's not to be offered just to a minority. Or a select few. Paul wants this gospel, and Paul himself is uh, an outstanding example of someone who offered this gospel and preached this gospel with his whole heart to all kinds of people. He never hedged it in and offered to one type of person and not to another he went to the Jews first. And then he went to the Gentiles. And the slave. It is for male and female. It's for young and old. It's for the masters of Paul's day. The employers. It's for the slaves of Paul's day. It's for those who are caught in the thick of society. And it's those, for those who are in the edges of society and who are almost disenfranchised in society. It's for all kinds of people, regardless of religious, ethnic, social, moral, or any other background. In other words, let's put it like this. No one can say it's not For me, no one can say I'm excluded. It's not for me or my type. Sometimes people say that to me. They will have said it to you when you talk to them about the gospel. Oh, it's fine for you, but it's not for me. And we've got to say this gospel is worthy of all acceptance. It is worthy of acceptance by you. And so, Christ, in his earthly life and ministry, and Christ through his apostles, and Christ today through his church, um, presents himself to all men, women, boys, and girls as an urgent application. What are you doing with him tonight? Are you someone here in church and you're ignoring him? Well, it's maybe more like the situation that you maybe just turn your ear to him once a week, now and again. Perhaps you're dipping your toes in Well, he says, come to me. He wants you to come to him, to receive him gladly, joyfully, wholeheartedly, and presently. Presently. And so there's an urgent invitation and application to any sinner here tonight. Here's a statement. Here's a person. Here's a message that you can build your life on, and you will be blessed in your soul of God now and for all eternity. We can't always believe the statements that we read are here, but here is a faithful one. There's no spin, it's the simple, plain, gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what you are. That's what I am. And so he is worthy of your full acceptance by each one of us so that we are forgiven our sins and know him. Amen.